My name is Dr. Shayma Dishti. I'm a senior surgeon in Kuwait, and I'm the co-director of the surgical review course. Uh, also, I am the one who is receiving all your wonderful emails and feedbacks. Um, I would like to thank you for your interest and participation with us in the surgical review course. And please know that these feedbacks and emails are very important to us and that we are working hard and will work harder to provide you with all surgical education services that would help you to pass your residency program and prepare you for your postgraduate career. Now, with all delight and pleasure, I would like to introduce our guest speaker for today, Dr. Munira Bin-Nakhi. Dr. Munira is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. She specialized in reconstructive microsurgery and super microsurgery. She finished her fellowship in uh, reconstructive microsurgery in Seoul, South Korea, uh, in Asan Medical Center. Uh, Dr. Munira is a member of uh, co uh, an American uh, College of Surgeons. Also, she is a member of many other societies, such as the World Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery, the American uh, Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery, Association of Women Surgeons, and she is a board member of Kuwait Women Surgeons and an executive member of Gulf Diabetic Foot Working Group. Dr. Minira has uh, many publications, more than 30 and, uh, posters. She participated in national, regional, and international conferences as an invited speaker. Currently, Dr. Minila is the head of a plastic uh, surgery unit in Adan Hospital, a hospital that is receiving 2 million people, which is around 50% of Kuwait population. Uh, Dr. Manila always know that she is one of my idols. One reason for this because Dr. Manila has established the surgery plastic unit in Adan Hospital from zero. And I'm very proud and happy to have Dr. Manila with us here today. I'm sure that her lecture will be very uh, uh, excellent and beneficial and informative. So Dr. Manila, uh, the stage is yours, not only the mic. Good evening, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Ashima, for this nice introduction. I would love to thank you and your organizing team for this kind invitation to give this um, talk. To be honest, this is my first time to speak to virtual people. <laughs> I've been used to present in um, lectures and conferences in big rooms with full of attendees and uh, interactive. This is my first time. I hope it's going to be an enjoyable one. Uh, as everybody knows, that today, uh, today lecture is, uh, or today topic is going to be about burns. Um, we have too many objectives uh, to, to finish or to talk about. One hour is not enough. We need one whole day. However, I try to give you the most uh, beneficial practical point that you need while you're working on the patient. And of course, to make it more interesting, to um, uh, make it fun to learn, I put a lot of uh, real patient, my patient pictures and videos. And also, I use a special way of presentation. I hope that you will enjoy uh, with me this topic and let's start the journey, the journey with us. So, why it is important to learn about burn? What's so special about burn? Well, burn, according to the WHO, is accounting for 6.6 .6 million injuries per year in the world and about 300,000 deaths per year. 
And as everybody knows that the leading cause of burn in adults are the flame burn, while in children is the scald, the burn with the hot fluids. And we know that most of these burn accidents occur at home, and the extreme of ages, the age younger than five and ages more than above 60, are the most common patients who have these injuries. And it's nice to know that three-fourths of these injuries, uh, according to the children, it's preventable. So what's burn? Well, it's actually a, a wound that's caused by an external agent. That agent leads to coagulative necrosis of the tissue. So in other means, it's a traumatic injury to the skin that is primarily caused by the thermal trauma. Next step is etiology. What are the causes of burn? Before we were talking the burn, we always talk about the dry, moist, and smoke burn, uh, some sort of chemical burn, electrical burn. But recently, they introduced even the burn because of the extreme cold temperature, such as the cold burn, the frostbite, and also radiation burn. It's important to know that in the dry heat, it's most commonly the flame burn. However, there's also contact burn, contact with the iron, contact with the metal. And there is the something called moist burn, which is called scald burn, hot water, hot soup, hot tea or coffee. And that is the part of a smoke inhalation engine. There's chemical burns because of acid and alkaline. I will touch on that in other slides, also electrical burn. So, uh, what is uh, the mechanism behind the thermal uh, burn? It's uh, the heat will change uh, the molecular structure of the tissue by causing the denaturing of the proteins. So this effect is influenced by the intensity of the energy. So if you have like a boiling water, the injury will be more than just a warm water, hot water. And then the duration of the exposure. If you just get a splash of the hot water, you will have minimal damage. But if you immerse your foot in a boiling water for longer period, you will have more. And type of tissue. Same boiling water that touches a child causes more damage because of thin skin rather than an adult. So now let's go to the part that maybe all of you find it it's difficult. I will explain it for you in a simple, straightforward slide. What is the pathophysiology of that burn? I need you to understand points of the pathophysiology so you can apply it on the patient and the course of the management of the patient. Basically, it's either a local response or a systemic. A local response, there is a theory called Jackson theory of thermal wounds. Well, basically, it's an old theory. It will divide the burn, the contact, the area of the burn into three zones. The first zone is the first zone that touches the hot uh, or the burn injury. It will have clotted blood and thrombosed blood vessels, so they call it zone of coagulation. The next zone is zone of stasis. It's the surrounding area where you have decreased blood flow and edema. The final zone is zone of hyperemia, where the peripheral uh, tissues around increase the blood flow so it can manage that burn. This is a simple drawing. can show you what I told you in case of either superficial burn or deep burn. It's the same, but the depth is different. So the first zone is basically a direct contact with the burn is the zone of coagulation. The next zone is the zone of the uh, uh, edema and stasis. And the last zone is the hyperemia zone. To make it more easier, I can divide the pathophysiology of burn into three periods, the early period, intermediate period, and the late period. 
The early period, we call it exudative. That means in this period, which occurs in the first few three days, you will have vasodilatation as a face response, and then you will have the systemic inflammatory mediators released, such as the histamin, tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1 and 6, interferon, prostaglandins. These will cause also increase in permeability of the vessels, capillary vessels, that leads to intracellular sodium concentration increasing, and the cell will be edematous. So when you manage a patient in the early first three, four days, you will expect his wounds will be oozing, that affected part will be swollen and edematous. So when you do a dressing, you have to do with frequent dressing, you have to put too much um, uh, secondary dressing to absorb all of this exudate coming out. So it's not reasonable to put a thin layer and leave him go for two, three days. He'll be soaked and then he will have infection. Intermediate period, the intoxication period. Usually it happens after the first week where the edema gradually stops and then you will have a polyuria. And then a, a body as a compensation, the cardiac output will be increased. In fact, they found 10th day post burn, you will have 2.5 times uh, double increase in the cardiac output. So the late period, this is the period that we plastic surgeons don't like because the patient with us, this period where most infections occur, either acute, acute or chronic infection. Why? Because we have suppression of both cellular and humoral immune response. And this suppression is direct proportion to the burn size. The bigger, the more suppression. And then we have leukopenia. So as, as that, we will have reduced chemotaxic, and reduced phagocytosis, and reduced migration of neutrophils. So any infection, the body cannot handle. And then all the interleukin after the first week levels will decrease interleukin 2, 1, 6, and 8. And also because of increase in catabolism and capillary leak, we will have reduced level of immunoglobulin G, A, and M. So patient will have septic complication. Not only that, also the T cell activation is impaired. That's why we have too much cases of viral and fungal infection in our burn ICU patients. This is a photo that summarizes what I told you, starting from the Jackson model till the vessels and the capillary and the change of everything. This is local. So what happens in the systemic response? Well, believe me, this is, happens in local, so the effect will be systems, all the systems. You start with the cardiac system. At the beginning, we said decrease cardiac output. And then compensatory, there will be tachycardia, increase in peripheral vascular resistance, increase in pulmonary resistance, and also the right ventricular workload will be increased and eventually cardiac dysfunction. From the lung point of view, we can have acute upper airway obstruction, either because of the procus vase or because of occlusion secondary to the edema. We said the first few hours is edema exudate everywhere, either because of inhalation injury, you will have pneumonias, pulmonary infection, you will have respiratory insufficiency at the end, either in the form of acute lung injury or an ARDS. GI system, we have absent or decreased motility of the GI system. We'll have a certain type of ulcers. I'll talk to it about it later on, curling ulcers. And then we have the intra-abdominal hypertension and secondary abdominal compartment syndrome. Hepatic the same, hepatic edema, hepatocyte injury, and then you will have increase in liver enzymes. Uh, renal, we have acute kidney injuries, either acutely early during the early fluid 
resuscitation time, or we have it late as secondary to sepsis and uh, septic shock. Metabolic, burn patient is hypermetabolic state. Immunologic, we explain everything about the immunology. So this is simple to understand what's going on secondary to the burn injury. Let's go to the classification. We want to classify so we can describe, so we can manage accordingly. Basically, there are three degrees of burn. First degree is only localized to the epidermis. Second degree is further subdivided to superficial and deep, according to the penetration to the papillary dermis. Third degree is the full thickness through the epidermis, dermis, and subcutaneous tissue. Certain schools, they add something called fourth degree when the burn reaching the bone or the muscle. But anyway, it's the same thing. It's a full thickness burn. It doesn't matter whether it reaches the subcutaneous or bone muscle. So it's basically three degrees. So this is a nice photograph. Easy, you can see. The first degree we said is only epidermis. So it is uh, epidermal barrier will be intact. The clinical picture I'm going to show you now, it's only red skin. It's pain. When you touch it, it blanches. Usually it heals within three, four days. There will be no scarring. And there is nothing needed to be treated except if you have pain, painkiller, and any soothing creams. Okay? So this is one example. Sunburn. You go to the seaside, you do your tanning, and this is the result. And another poor newborn, even the umbilicals did not fall down, they washed him with hot water. So it's only a red skin and it is very painful. So the second degree, as we said, two type, either superficial reaching till here or deep going down. So let us see. It spares the hair follicle and sweat glands and usually has blisters, the superficial uh, second degree, superficial second degree. It's very painful and very sensitive. If you touch it with the hair, they will scream. Usually it heals by reepithelization within one week to, to 10 days and it will not cause any scarring or maybe it cause only uh, dyschromia, this, this maybe hyperpigmentation, hypopigmentation. One clinical example, very frequent, we see this, these cases with a bully. When you have a bully, most probably it is you're dealing with second degree superficial. Another child, coffee or tea from his mother, and you see you have uh, redness and you have early bully. This is the steam burn, the usual when you have in the radiator of the car, when you open the car and the steam burns your face, second degree superficial. When it heals, you're gonna see this picture. Uh, this the the epithelialization occurs from the hair, uh, hair follicle, and this is the appearance. This is healed. It's not any active wound anymore. What about the deep second degree? We said it goes deeper to reticular dermis. Usually it's pale and mottled, doesn't blanch on touch, and there is a sluggish or absent capillary refill. Less painful, it takes two weeks to one month to heal by reptilization from the hair follicle and sweat glands. Contracture are yes possible, especially if it's over a joint area, and, some, and it needs excision and skin grafting in most of cases. This is an example. So you can see it's a second degree deep burn. Another example, a child holding the coal, a hot coal. And usually if you leave it neglected over a, a joint, this will end by a contracture, healing by a secondary intention. Another case, and this is a video showing you uh, one of the patients with childhood second degree, part not, he, not treated, part with skin graft, other part not treated, not treated by, by grafting and he has problems. So what about the full thickness? 
the third degree, we said it will take the all layers, dermis till the subcutaneous fat. Usually it's dry, leathery skin. I always say it's like a leather of a bag or a shoe. It's not alive. There is no sensation. I always, when I go to the emergency room, when I see a screaming burn patient, I feel happy. Yes, I feel happy. I'm not, I will say like, maybe you're crude, you're feeling happy with other people's pain. No. Screaming patient means it's a superficial burn, so the management will be easy. The patient will have good prognosis. But if a burn patient is sitting and smiling with no pain, that means it's a very deep burn and he will have a lot of complication because always it requires surgery. One example, you can see it doesn't look like a normal, you can see even the superficial veins are, are clotted, are, are thrombosed, and you can see it's like a leather, it's not alive even, it's like fixed posture. And after surgery, even with applying full thickness skin graft, you see it's not normal, it's deformed, it looks the scarring of even the grafting looks not very acceptable. And you can see also it leads to partial amputation of the nerves and the, and the finger. So basically, does this happen in real life? Patient comes first degree, second degree, third degree? Unfortunately, no. Life is not easy. So what we face? We face mixture according to what we said at the beginning where the intensity and where is the first contact and the duration. So if something, the hot oil spills first here, here is gonna have the more intensity and more damage and more degree. While the remaining cool down and comes down, he will have less. So here we have second degree bully, uh, superficial and deep areas, and we have also first degree. Like here, we have a mixture of all the degree. I can show it to you here, it's very easy. We have in the middle full thickness, white, Around it is the partial thickness, second degree, and at the periphery is superficial uh, burn, first degree. This is a nice table, summarizes what I told you all regarding each type of the burn, which areas involved in the skin, examples, how the patient will feel, the, the time to need for healing, whether there's scarring or not, and uh, whether the, the surgery is needed or not. Okay. So now, next thing in assessment that helps us in the managing of the patient. Now we know what degree, roughly. Now we go to the total body surface area. We need to know how much out of the whole body, 100%, is affected so we can manage later on by the IV fluid, by the surgeries, by everything. There is two rules. If you have a large areas, then you have something called rule of nine. I hope everybody knows it. Rule of nine is as simple as that. The whole head is 9%. Anterior 4.5, posterior 4.5. Anterior chest is nine, posterior chest is nine. Anterior abdomen is nine, posterior is nine. And then the whole limb in front is nine, back nine. The whole arm front and back is nine. So anterior aspect is 4.5, posterior aspect is 4.5. That's when you have large areas, the whole hand you can uh, measure easily. Okay. Does the children have the same rule? No. Why? Because as you say, see, the, the child infant, is, his head is proportioned to his body is much bigger. And you can notice, even in the children, when he is infant, the half, the half of the, the, the head is 9.2 in comparison, like the adult is 4.2. When he becomes one year of age, it, becomes, it drops to eight. When he is five, it's 6.5. So there is a special diagram is available everywhere when you have a child to examine 
to know the, the percentage of burn, you can use it. You cannot memorize the children because they're difficult. Okay, what about, what about other rule of palms? It's used in burns, small scattered areas of burns, or I personally use it if I have burn all over, I have scattered areas of spurred skin. So what I'll do, I use this rule to measure the normal areas, and then I subtract from 100, it gives me how much is the patient. As simple as that. In adult and pediatrics, is the same. If you take the whole palmar service, it's around 1%. If you take only the palm inner part, it's half percent. You have to know, when you use this rule, you use the patient's own hand in calculation. You don't use your hand on a child and you say, okay, he has 1%. No, you bring the child's hand and you put the estimation accordingly. There is a newer technique. Technology is amazing. There is a laser doubler accurate up to 99%, the whole idea is there is a camera, they will scan the area according to the blood flow, the machine will tell you what's the percentage and how much the depth in these areas. So life is very easy. And the, at the end, why I need you to know all of these things? Because I need you when you write description of the case, in one sentence only, I am examining, I'm closing my eyes, I am in the phone, you consult me on the case by telling me these three things that I explained earlier. What's the percentage of the burn? What's the degree of the burn? And what's the cause of the burn? So then I can advise you whether it needs to be shifted to our care or it can be managed as an outpatient uh, basis. So for example, when you tell me it's a 15% mixed second degree scald burn in a child and I'll tell you this is indicated to be admitted in hospital for IV fluid. Let's have a clinical, a real patient scenario that we have. Let's assume that this patient, only the, the appeared part is the uh, positive part of the, uh, of the burn. So anterior face, anterior chest, anterior abdomen, and anterior thigh only. So tell me, if you can type, how much the total percentage, as you can see, anterior head, 4.5, 9, 9, 4.5. So approximately, this is the total. Yes, excellent, excellent Pamela. It is uh, 27%, excellent habit. So this is by simple, it's 27%. So what I'll tell you, uh, dear doctor, I have a 27% from what to look that you can look degree. It's all white, non-blanching, and it's because of flame. The paramedic said he has a flame burn. So this is a 27% third degree flame burn. And patients have the burn in a closed area, so he was also intubated. American Burn Association made a severity classification, so it made it easy, it's a universal. When you would talk between shifting department and shifting hospital, you can classify that a minor uh, burn is with adult less than 10% service area or a child or old age less than five and less than 2% of pearl thickness, they are considered to be minor. Major goes to ICU where the total uh, more than 20% and old patient or baby and more than 10%, there's more than 5% for thickness. And if there is other criteria, we will talk about them later on. So we finish first part of the lecture. Now we go to the second part. I hope everything is clear and if nobody is uh, sleeping. Treatment. 
So basic treatments, treatments start from the site of that burn. So there is pre-hospital care and there is hospital care. Pre-hospital care, um, the, the most important thing I want you to know and to teach everybody that you know that something called stop, drop and roll in cases of flame injury. Or in cases of skull, you have to go away from that uh, danger. And the standard ABC, cooling the area, usually with water, minimum of 10 minutes water. It is effective up to one hour after injury. After one hour, there is no use. And in the cases, you have to elevate the limb until the paramedic comes to give oxygen and does the ABC. This is basically, if you have fire, you tend to see people run. No, stop, throw yourself on the floor, roll to uh, make the fire go out. Okay, what about hospital care? Everybody knows the ATLS, ABCDEF uh, care. We're gonna touch the most important things that we need in our uh, the burn cases. You have to look for direct visualize if there's any burn airway. And then if you have burn airway, elective early amputation is advised because if you wait, we said the first few hours you're gonna have edema, then you cannot intubate. If you did not intubate, you have to be ready to perform cricothyroidectomy. This is one case. Imagine if this one was not intubated immediately. How can even expert anesthesia, even with a camera lens, he cannot, it's gonna be so swollen from inside, the tube will not go in. So what is the indication? If we have directly on the oropharynx, erythema or swelling of the oropharynx, if the patient voice have hoarseness, if he develops stridor, if he has having tachypnea or difficulty in breathing, he's telling you, or if you see soot particles, carbonous material, material staining the patient's face. I will show you pictures, clinical pictures of real patients. The breathing, you will have to have uh, rule out the inhalation injury. And if you see the full chest is fully degree burn and there is no compliance, we'll do a scarotomy, I'll show it to you. What are the signs of inhalation injury, or we call it inhalation burn? As the patient history is very important. If the paramedic tell you he was in a fire inside the home or closed home, you will have high suspicion of uh, inhalation injury. It differs when somebody is working the oil field, exposed in the air and there is a flame. No, it's not a closed area, it's not trapped area. And then if you have a full thickness, deep burns over the face, neck or upper thorax, you can see burns in the palate and nasal mucosa, and you will have no hair in the nose. We call it sing nasal hair. You see that it's burned, or you can see the soot or carbon particles in the oropharynx. This is what I tell you. You can see the hair in the nose is burned, uh, you know, edema, erythema, and you can see soot or carbon material. Here is full thickness burn. It's barely he's opening his mouth. It's like a leather fixed, and you can see the tongue is black, full of soot material. Why we need to know inhalation injury? Well, because it's, it's a dangerous thing. It increases morbidity and mortality, and it's an independent predictor of mortality. I will show you how to calculate mortality, and inhalation takes a big percentage of theirs. If you have two patients having the same exact burn um, percentage and that one with inhalation, one with no, the one with inhalation would have more problems and more risk of, of um, mortality or dying. So how do we confirm diagnosis? Best is fibro-optic bronchoscopy is for diagnosis and treatment, CT chest, uh, carboxyhemoglobin measurement, radionucleic imaging, and pulmonary function test.
something called choice classification. It's very nice, and if you involve in these cases, you have to be involved in the ICU when they do bronchoscopy. So bronchoscopy is diagnostic and therapeutic. Basically, the grade zero, there is nothing, or only by, by, by biopsy. Grade one, there is mild edema and hyperemia, but no carbon, so you can see it's red, little bit edematous. Grade two, there is too much edema, but uh, with the carbon deposit, too much edema with carbonous material. Grade three is ulceration and necrosis. No, it is as if you took and you flame inside it. This is grade three, and unfortunately, this is non-compatible with life. What is the management? Basically, as we said, early intubation, mechanical ventilation, respiratory support, aggressive pulmonary toileting, aggressive suctioning. Uh, we said also the prophylactic intubation found it to be decreasing the mortality because uh, you will anticipate and give good oxygenation in the beginning, early ambulation, chest physiotherapy, and as we said, the therapeutic bronchoscopy by doing motion. C for circulation the usual two big IV lines, four cannulas, central line, and then if we have problem compromised limbs, we do the scarotomy attachment now. So now we need to give the fluid for the circulation, fluid for recitation. Usually uh, the patient more than 10% in children and adult more than 15, they need IV fluid uh, treatment recitation and these patients need to be admitted. Other than that, less percentage than that oral fluid is okay, and they advise to add salt to that fluid. The famous formula, everybody should know, the Parkland formula. What we use, we use Ringer lactate. And then you have the percentage that we calculated before, multiply by the patient weight by 4 ml. The result that you have, you divide it into two. First given in the first eight hours, the remaining in the, in the remaining 16 hours. It's very important to know that the fluid replacement calculate the first eight hours from the start of the injury. So you have to ask the paramedic or the people with the patient, when was the burn? You don't treat from the time coming to the hospital. So you calculate the time from the time of injury, and then you ask the paramedic how much IV fluid you took in the ambulance, or how much of fluid it was taken in the ER, and you subtract it from the first eight hours measurement. This is very important. Colloid, Usually it's avoided in the first 24 hours. It might have a role when you have severe burn, too much percentage, you cannot give the patient two liters per an hour. Maybe you can use, but it's not advisable. There is a certain formula to calculate, which is not very important to know. How can I know if my IV fluid that I give is okay? You write IV fluid and you go? No, you have certain orders, you have to uh, assess and monitor, so you can know whether you will increase or decrease the IV fluid. Most commonly, we use the urine output. That's why you put Foley's. However, urine osmolarity is more accurate. Our idea, our goal, is to keep the urine output between half and one ml per kg per hour, and to have our central venous pressure between five and 10. If a patient has more than two ml per kg per hour urine output, this is a sign of overhydration. Why this happens? Maybe you, sometimes you overestimate burns, or you calculate a superficial burn, and you give it the IV fluid replacement, then by urine output, you discover that you are overhydrating. you can go down with the fluid rate. Also the pulse rate, if it's 110 or less, that means we have adequate uh, volume, normal, normal volume. But if the heart rate is more than 20, 120, it means hypovolemia. Also, the pulse pressure is more accurate than systolic blood pressure to know whether the patient is 
good hydration or not. Non-invasive blood pressure, like the call for blood pressure, is usually not accurate, especially if you have burn over the limbs. You said, we told you there is edema, so the blood pressure reading is going to be lower than the actual uh, reading. So it's better to put arterial invasive blood pressure readings. Hypermetabolic response, we said it's hypermetabolic, the burn itself. And you can see here by a study measuring that if it's 20% burn, you need 30% more than your normal requirement. But if you reach 50% burn, you need 100% more. So that's why we need extra feeding for them. The same principle goes, we need enteral uh, feeding through the gut itself. So we put in G-tube and enteral feeding is much better than parental feeding. And then um, uh, this feeding will help in removing and stopping the catabolic drive. Million of complicated formulas how to calculate proteins and calorie need. Forget all about it. Let's concentrate on the simple uh, Sutherland formula. For children, the normal daily requirement is 60 kilocalorie per kg, and then you add extra 35 for each 1% of burn. In adults, their normal is 20% uh, kilocalorie per kg, so we will add 70% uh, kilocalorie uh, per each percent of total uh, body service area of burn. Protein should constitute 20% of the energy. And then usually it's 1.5 to 2 grams per kg protein per day. Special cases, as we said, we have chemical burns and we have electrical burns. We have to know about them. Chemical burns usually either by acid or by alkali. So I want to ask you, which is more severe, you think? Is it a burn by acid or burn by alkali? So we see a lot of movies when somebody is want to revenge, uh, put acid on the face. Excellent, a lot of answers, correct answers. Yes, alkali. Why? Because alkali causes saponification of fat. And this dehydrates the cells and dissolves the proteins by creating uh, alkaline proteases that goes and penetrate deeper, deeper, deeper. However, an acid, the injury is by hydrolysis, so the acid burns tend to limit themselves inside that area. So if you hate someone, uh, spill alkaline on him, not acid, <laughs> to have more damage. So this is a table I summarized for you, just some basic things you need to know to manage on your daily life or to teach your family also. So um, if we have, uh, water is the cure of everything. Most of alkali and acid and the hydrocarbons, what, what do they mean by hydrocarbons? The fuel, the asphalt, the paraffin, the treatment is irrigation of water, very easy. If you have them, the, the, house, the house rust removers or the metal cleaner burn with a hydrofluoric acid, usually injectable or topical calcium or magnesium salts. Very nice. The lithium metal burn usually happens with battery. If somebody plays with the battery or the battery just open or by children, cover it with oil. So the treatment for the battery burn, cover it with oil. The mercury, in cases of uh, fungicide, uh, the antifungal agents you use in the plants, you should debride, open the bully, and remove the fluid blister. Very common cases coming to my clinic and to others. Do you know what cause of this chemical burn? Any guesses? It's very common. Answers? Yes, hair paint, Abdullah. Yeah, it's dye. 
In the salon, they want to bleach, they want to dye, this happens. And usually we treat them conservatively. Uh, then later, uh, later time we do a reconstruction of this part. Either the patient wants a big area tissue expander or we do excision. Another case of doing color in a beauty salon and end up by chemical burn. A child playing with the tar. <laughs> he wants to do a tattoo, heart-shaped tattoo. Deep burn, alkaline burn, deep burn with a nice shape. So the second special type is the electrical burn and I need to teach you certain things, uh, very important things to know as, uh, as, a, as a surgeon, as a clinicians, that usually it occurs in two types. And I will explain what they mean by two types. Most commonly in men, age 20 and 40, because you know men do the electrical work, I hope, mostly. And it causes 20% of burn mortality, so it's more dangerous. We have two types of the real current uh, um, electricity burn. We have the uh, low voltage, which is household. Usually it's only limited to skin, fortunately. The high voltage is the work and the cables that a trace like a knife inside and causes maybe any, if the patient is lucky to survive, they always die. They don't arrive to hospital, but it causes uh, deeper, deeper burn. The longer the contact, the more the damage. The smaller the area of point, the greater the energy. Two things you have to differentiate. Is it a true electrical burn? Does the current pass inside the body of the patient and goes back? Or is it only a flash injury? A lot of cases they say electrical burn, when you come and ask the patient, he says, I was working, a flash, a sparkle happened, a fire hit me. So this is a flash burn, it's not an electrical burn. And we know that we have the greatest heat, of course, between the two, two areas of resistance, which is entrance and exit. So this is where forensic medicine comes. You have to ask the patient. When you see the patient, entrance, hand, you have to look, are you standing? Yes, look for the feet. If he's sitting, look for the butt. And then the dry skin has greater resistance. The wet has less resistance. That's why we have more with wet. And tissues of less resistant nerves and blood vessels, so they easily get damaged with electrical. However, also the uh, bone and muscle, but it's lesser, lesser degree. So it has result in serious injury, vessels and nerve. It causes immobilization of the muscle. And systemically, it causes cardiac arrhythmias and necrotic in the areas of the bone, we said, and muscles. Later complication, if the patient survives, cataracts and progressive demyelinating neurological loss. This is a case, doctor, help, an ER, electrical burn. When you go, electrical. You ask him, I was working with the electrical, then a Berg sparkle burn my face. It looks very simple. It looks clearly uh, like a superficial burn. This is the true current burn. See how is it? Completely mummified. Everything is damaged. Nail, tendon, muscle, all, nail, everything is gone. So when we assess, we have to look, as we said, for entrance and exit. Don't see only one wound, look for the other wound. You have to remove everything. You have to treat all the thermal. You need the ECG monitor. These patients should be admitted even if they don't have any big wound because they might develop bradycardia, tachycardia, the, um, ventricular fibrillation, or even a systole later on. So you have to do ag aggressive watch of the airway and circulatory management. They need extra bolus of fluid, 20 milliliter kg and they need to put sodium bicarbonate and mannitol. This is the wound, okay, it's nice, go home. No, we have to see the exit wound. Patient should be admitted for monitoring with ECG and cardiac enzymes. 
So third part is about burn surgery. We have two types of burn surgery, either uh, acute burn surgery at the time of the same incident in hospital admission or delayed when we have the uh, other reaction. The first two is the one you are most carried on, the third and fourth mostly for the one planning to be a plastic or a constructive surgeon. So escarotomy. Escarotomy is a surgical procedure. We use it to treat for the full thickness, third degree, circumferential burn. This is when you have a tight skin, as I told you, like a bag or like a shoes, it will not be breathable, not expandable. We have the first few hours edema. The edema traps in, it causes pressure and increase the pressure. So no pulse will reach and the uh, digit or the hand will die. In the chest, there will be no compliance and the ventilation will not work. We do uh, incision, medial and lateral services. I'll show you now photos and videos. We avoid bony, prominence, tendon, nerve and major vessels. So basically, upper limb, lateral, medial, chest is the same, thigh is the same. I'm gonna show you clinical pictures so you will have it. What's the indication we said? Circumferential burn, scar, deep burn, and bending or established vascular compromisation to the digits or extremity or uh, uh, compromising respiratory uh, movement. So this is how we do it. You open until the fat is budding outside subcutaneous fat, and this is how you do it in the hand. This is in the chest. So you can be ventilated. Sometimes you need to do it in the abdomen if you have compartment syndrome or increased intra-abdominal pressure. And this is illustration, short video to see you how to do it. Do you need to, uh, to sterilize the patient? No, why? Burn is a sterilization by itself. You killed everything on the organism. You don't need to put betadine. You just go even with a scalpel, will not be breathing because of zone of coagulation. I usually like doing it using the monopolar uh, dithermy. It's easier because sometimes you might have bleeding if you go down deep in. After you open, you see it, it's give, give away. You put your finger, you spread the fat. If you see the fat is alive, it means you're successful and finish. If you see the fat is burned, it means you have to go down to the fascia and do the uh, fasciotomy. This is to tell you if you are in doubt, you can uh, elevate the limb and reevaluation by pulses, by Doppler. But the important thing is to reevaluate whether he needs a uh, scalotomy or no, you have six hours, as you know, a gap until he'll be uh, done. So fasciotomy, we go down, down to the fascia. Basically, it's done in the electrical burn, as we said, because it goes deep to the bone and to the muscle. Rarely we need it for the full thickness burn. And most of you know how to do the fasciotomy, just go in the fascia and the compartments and you release, release the muscles. And you see when it's really indicated, the muscle will bulge in your face. Third part is the excision, whether to do it early. Early we mean the first five days, late is after three weeks. Always early is better. They show that decreased chances of sepsis and gives the patient more chance to do early mobilization. And so that it decreases also the mortality rates if you do it early. So now we do it within the first three, five days because after five days reset, after the first week, chances of sepsis. And as I told you, the burn in the first few days is steroid. So no need to give antibiotic for burn. I get very upset when I see cases from casualty or juniors giving oral antibiotics for burns. Burn by itself is clean. So we, how much we excise at the same time? We excise only 15%. If a patient has 60%, we'll not go in one sitting. Why? Because every 1% of burn you excise, you will have 100 cc or blood loss. So you need to do 15%. Space every two to three days. 
So the goal is to remove all the necrotic tissues and we're preparing it for coverage. So excision, what's the type of excision? There's two types, either tangential or fascia. Tangential is we do repeated removing of thin slides of half mm thickness of the burnt area, including the zone of coagulation and zone of stasis. And usually we do it for the deep dermal burns and third degree burns, okay? If it's extending the subcutaneous, you do the same technique until you see a plane of healthy bleeding fat. This is one picture of doing it, like doing slices, uh, like a steak slices, like a, uh, shawarma slices, slice piece by piece until you reach to a normal uh, level. Uh, advantages, cosmetically is nice. And then we give us more chance of doing grafting. However, it has high blood uh, loss and usually with the bleeding, it's very difficult to know which, which way is viable and then you need to do delayed a second look. Fascial excision is remove everything till the fascia. And usually, usually it's, it's less bleeding this is the way, you remove the whole chest and abdomen until you see the fascia of the muscles. It is easy to, to evaluate the depth and there is less, less bleeding. However, it's more ugly and then you will lift up with less uh, uh, options to, to cover and then there's a damage injuring the nerves and, and opening the joint. How can we do it? Usual sharp as a scalpel or you can use the newer um, hydro, hydro surgical techniques like uh, Berzajet. Doing all of this, analgesia, analgesia, analgesia. You have to put the patient post-operatively with a good analgesia to lessen his suffering. Uh, he's already uh, breakdown emotionally and psychologically, so you have to take that in, con in consideration. Everybody asks about the dressing for burns. Usually you do dressing for burns in the first degree. We said it's only creams, soothing creams. And the second degree and third degree, we need to put something with um, uh, as we said, something to absorb in the first few days. It's very important if the burn over a joint area that you put splint, at least night splint to prevent contracture. You need to clean. And this patient becomes, you cannot apply anything. Nothing will be absorbed. So you just clean it with a wet gauze. You expose the area so you can see this is a second degree burn. Okay. And then what's a typical antimicrobial, not antibiotic, antimicrobial dressing? The most famous one is the uh, silver uh, sulfadazine, which is the flamazine. You can use the more expensive silver containing dressings. But anyway, for me, this is cheap, this is uh, cool, this is really available, and you can apply it to the patient. How we apply it, doctor? We apply it, as always, I always tell, for the patient or the nurse, as if you have a cake and you're putting cream. One centimeter of thick cream, the more, the better. And then, is that enough? No. Then we have to put an... Uh, 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 Non-adherent dressing, like a Vaseline goes or Sofratol, if you have adapted, and then too much of secondary dressing to absorb the exudate on the first day. And when you fix it, fix it in a way that when the patient walks, it doesn't slip down. So you have to have an area of the skin. Who worked uh, in Adan Hospital or who came with me, you know that we have a cabinet full of all dressings in the OT, in the in the, in the office, in the dressing room. And these are the most types of dressings available that we can use. However, 
uh, we have like a, a foam dressing. I like to use them usually, or even alginate has good absorption in the first few days. After fifth day of burn, when we have less exudation, we can use the foam dressing. The hydro, the, the fibers are very nice and a secondary dressing to absorb, much better than the ghost. But the problem is expensive and not very available. So let me show you a few pictures of cases. Children do amazing. This is mixed second degree. There is deep areas, superficial areas with antimicrobial dressing, flamazine dressing, one week, second week, and the patient is healed. Another infant with the coffee burn. He was in mother lamb, but she was drinking coffee. The first week after second week, there is even no scar. Infants do much better. Their skin is much better. Prophylactic antibiotics? No, not recommended. Don't give any continuous systemic antibiotic for burn cases, okay? There is no evidence, okay? And there is, there is meta-analysis showed that the first four to 14 days in severe burn, it reduces the mortality into half. However, um, in adult or pediatric, did not show that it will decrease the incidence of bone infection or sepsis. If you are going to do a surgery by excision or skin coverage, skin grafting, surgical prophylaxis is advisable, and especially they found the higher the percentage, the better, because it did decrease the rate of the wound infection, but not mortality. We said the curling ulcer, stress ulcer, the same like the ulcer because of the head injury, pushing ulcer. It's systemic burn causes a special ulcer. Mostly they bleed, rarely they perforate. And that's why in cases who are admitted to the ICU with a severe burn, we usually do the stress ulcer prophylaxis using either PPI or the histamine receptor antagonist. Don't forget tetanus prophylaxis. They are, the burn wounds are prone for tetanus. So you need to revise the immunization status according to the age of the patient and do what's needed. Outcome are poor if the uh, burn depth is more and if the service area is more than 40. If there is associated injury, head injury for example, or inhalation injury, mortality is bad. Patient has been comorbidities such as diabetes, bad. That's why these patients, if they have even a small burn, we have to revert, refer them to a specialized burn center. Extreme ages, younger than two, older than 60, they have more mortality and complication. How can we calculate mortality? The revised box score is how much the percentage that you calculate plus his age. If there is inhalation, you have 17% extra mortality. A very common question, always they ask, when you refer, and you're always there, you're always there in the casualty, you want to know when you refer the case to a burn center. Well, now the new, the new there's a change, a lot of change in the criteria. The new criteria is the burn more than 10% involving face, hand, genitalia, third degree, electrical, chemical inhalation, patients with medical disorders, any contaminant trauma, if it's the burn is more dangerous. In pediatric, there is no pediatric service and special social cases. So reconstruction. Now we have, we did the debridement. Uh, we, we like to cover that wound. It's either done at the same sitting of the debridement, which I don't like, or we do with multiple stage delay. Better to have that. Better than so. This is the reconstructive ladder. You can start from a simple as skin graft to a complex as a free flap. I'm going to show you fast few slides about it. Skin grafts usually we take if there is donor autograph from the patient himself. If we have too much areas and need to cover two big areas and there is no available skin in the donor, we take cadaveric allograft and there is other sources. Skin either full thickness 
it's difficult to survive, but it has better cosmetic and less contractual later on. But the split thickness easy to survive and take, but uh, it doesn't look nice and later have contraction. Split thickness, we can take it with dermatome, with different sizes, electrical dermatome, air dermatome, or with humby knife. We can use it as a sheet. You make just holes and put it in certain areas like you don't need uh, cosmetically. You debride the wound and you put it in the hand. You stable it. And this is the result with the donor site. That people have bad donor sites. Machine is used to do expansion. To do expansion for the, uh, for the skin. There is multiple sizes, 1.5 to 1, 2. It means three times. So one centimeter gives you three centimeter, either using the old fashioned the plastic plate to feed it, or now the newer without any um, plate, you just put the skin, you do the machine, you make the holes, and bam, you have double the size, and you can cover, this is a pre-excised, clean on back, fixed with the stables, and then we put the back to stabilize it. Uh, you need either to put a back, or you can put uh, a tie over, and if it's over a joint, you need to do splinting, either with a, with a full cast, or with a slab. And this is afterward, this is the wound after healing. Not very nice donor areas, however, there are some people very lucky, they have very uh, nice looking. We do offer programs for the candidates to do hands-on from A to Z, and a lot of the surgical candidates joined our unit and they were happy to do uh, a lot of cases of skin graft. Peaky graft is a special machine that gives you expansion nine times. It's very ugly, but sometimes it's the only solution if you have limited donor. You just open it, small square, small cells, spread it over the large areas of burn. Dermal mattresses, it's a substitute. Uh, I can do, I did it for you in, a, in an easy way, cellular a cellular. There is the Integra, uh, which is made from shark. It's two stage. We can do, show you this case, full thickness, excised. We put them on back with the installation system. And then after the bed is ready, we put the Integra, second stage, we put the uh, skin graft, and this is the patient after uh, one year, you can see it looks like uh, normal, no contracture, the patient walks normally, even it's gonna be uh, pliable like normal skin, as if you did a flap, but this is what's only using the dermal substitute and a skin graft. So another type, metroderm, a cheaper type, it's cellular type, and then we can use it one stage with a skin graft, and we can use it after preparing the wound. It has a better result than using a skin graft alone. This is a case also of burn. And dark people, it does not much nicer. And there is something called cultured material cells. This is very nice if you have limited donors, somebody's like 80% burn. One centimeter of skin gives you one meter of skin. But the bad thing is the look is bad, take is bad, however, it takes two to three weeks, but sometimes it's the only choice for certain major uh, burns. So we have local flaps, we're doing local flaps to cover deeper wound when we have bone exposed like this one, we do double rotation to cover the bone because skin graft will not survive, and then we'll put skin graft on the donor. If we have a joint area, we don't want a to have contracture if we have an area sensitive like in the palmar aspect and we need to do um, we need to do the the flap we do the flap and this is the example of a flap done intraoperatively we can we see the um, uh, refill and then we twist it and we see also the refill intra op to make sure and this is the case on table 
one year later would preserve function, complete aponosis, abduction, abduction of the thumb. Free flap, sometimes good with that option is complicated option. And we, if we have full thickness with exposed tendons or, or damaged tendons, we do uh, graft, we take it from the thigh, ALT free flap, and we have the pedicles, and then we hook them to the recipient by small sutures, 10090, which is thinner than the hair. Uh, follicle. This is immediately intra-op and this is after. Unfortunately, he had a little bit of venous ischemia, so we had to put skin graft on top. And this is the daughter. So post-operatively, we have to put a careful evaluation of the IV fluid and physiotherapy and splinting is very important to ensure the joint a movement. Delayed, we can do later on for the scars, either if we have, uh, sometimes we need to do early on before the one year or, or, or so, if we have exposed the eye, or if we have severe microsomia, so the mouth doesn't move, so we need to do it. So what's the technique to reconstruct the burn? If you don't have any deficiency of tissue, we can just do excision and primary closure, or even Z-plasty if you have a contraction, so you can elongate your wound. However, if you have deficiency of tissue, we go back to the same theory of skin graft and dermal substitute and these things. I'm going to show you a few interesting cases. A 50 years old, uh, child, since childhood, since years age one, she had this contracture, Tegra, uh, dermal substitute, skin graft, donor area. She was doing well except for the area in contact between her normal skin and the artificial skin. So we did Z-plasties and then the patient has full abduction and for the first time in 50 years, she was able to comb and brush her hair, and she was very happy, tearful. Tissue expanders, we have different type of the tissue expanders, round, rectangular, or also um, crescent shape. We use them to treat, like this is our patient, she's not happy about the skin graft area, so we go in and the healthy uh, skin, and uh, till the fascia, we go and put the implant, we put the port for injection here, we do injection twice per week until we reach the limit that we need, 400 cc, like a pregnant principle. And you can see the vessels here, how it's dilated. And then intra-op, we remove the tissue expander and we use the expanded skin and excise the scar. And you can see the difference between having this ugly scar and with this line. This is very fresh. Later on, become lighter with the help of laser. And we can do also a tattoo to help her better. There is the flaps, as we said, and there is something called prefabricated flap where we put tissue expander in the pre-planned flap, we expand the size, and then we remove the expander and we use the new sized flap as either free flap or a pedicle flap. Complications, we do have complications. This is one of uh, rare uh, cases that we have skin graft failure. Not failure, we had areas of loss, partial loss, and it was treated by conservative and steroid therapy in children. Uh, steroids uh, sometimes in cases of um, persistent wounds help. Contracture, we do have contracture of the burn. These are contracture, the whip is uh, connected. We have the most common in our racial colors is the hypertrophic scars, young girl, very ugly burn scars. Keloid scars, you have to differentiate between the two. Keloid is extensive going out. And usually the factors, if we have prolonged wound inflammation, there is wound infection and there is prolonged dressing, it can have this. Certain areas, the areas over a shoulder, chest, and you know, these areas over joint and in, in racial pigmented color. So this is over a joint, she has a hypertrophic scar. How can we prevent? Well, we do pressure garments, we apply moisturizing, we do uh, uh, physiotherapy, splinting, and scar treatment in the 
early active scars. So this is the scar, silicone, and then compression bandage. This is the silicone available in most of the hospital. You can see an amazing result of them, this picture to this picture by using only the compression bandage, uh, custom made, and uh, the silicone sheet. So currently, a massage, silicone sheets or cream, I prefer sheets. Sometimes we need intralesional steroid to treat the hypertrophic scars, injection, pressure therapy. Uh, they're using now uh, chemotherapy for seal and bleomycin and laser. Laser does amazing job, either uh, NDAG laser or fractional CO2 laser. This is the scar after laser. Amazing, the hypertrophies all disappeared with the laser. There is another rare complication. I saw it during the last four years, two cases. Anyone tell me? What's this? This is an old gentleman who had a burn when he was one year of age. He developed this ulcer. I was consulted by a dear uh, general surgeon. To, he's been treating the case for one year. There's no improvement. The WB, who's WB? Margarine ulcer. Excellent. Any uh, long-standing histopathology, squamous cell carcinoma, margarine ulcer, it's very rare and aggressive. You have to have high index of suspicion. And that healing uh, ulcer in a grafted area, old burn, you always have to have it. It's why you have to diagnose it early, because if it's early, you can cure the patient. But if it's late, it's metastasized and there is no hope. That guy underwent amputation because he was delayed. This is another housewife who had it, but unfortunately, I don't know what happened. Her uh, employee uh, took her back to her country. She refused to treat her. So basically, um, uh, let's review our objective. Finally, we are finishing. We have only the last part, uh, very important rehabilitation. We need to really appreciate the center with, uh, uh, with the rehabilitation, either acute, using splinting or the anti-contracture position, or the later on chronic patient. The good centers with good physiotherapy do the best using the splints and the postural splints. And the long-term rehabilitation, even after, you need to do the physiotherapy, and it's very, very important to, to, to do that. Um, innovation, what's new? I'd just like to give you a few slides. Injecting fat. Fat with the stem cells gives you amazing results in the scars. You can see lighter skin, thinner skin, less contracture. See this lady, even this contracture is resolved by only injecting fat. There are new application, makes the resident life easy. You just put, it will tell you the percentage of burn, how much fluid to give, what to do. Lucky you guys. And the new thing, finally, we are having now the 3D printing skin. This is gonna be a revolution. You will print the skin, so this is, will be the answer for the severe burn. So no more mortality in cases of major burn, more than 80%. It is a teamwork. It's not only a surgeon, it's not an emergency, it's not only the plastic surgeon. It needs a psychiatry, social worker, physiotherapy. It's an effort of complete team. A good team gives you a good prognosis. But I have to tell you, whatever you know, whatever you do, unfortunately, sometimes you will face cases like this. You feel helpless. This is a fresh case, two days ago, arrived, 77, Indian, Full burn, 95% flame burn, inhalation injury, mortality rate is 188%. Patient was by emergency intubated, femoral line, Foley's catheter, all lines, everything was done. 
He needs a scrotomy of everything, but the patient, very poor prognosis. He expired within one hour. And taking history, uh, we found that this patient came a night before with fever and um, corona swab was taken. Uh, we followed the swab after he arrived. It came a result after one hour. He is COVID positive. So with the history of no explosion, this is a suicidal attempt by burn. Patient know that he is a COVID patient, so he decided to take his own life by fire, setting fire in his body. You feel very sad for these cases. These days with the COVID thing and with a lot of suicide we're facing, uh, the important thing is you have to treat each patient as he is positive and to be safe. Unfortunately, the casualty uh, doctor who intubated the patient was not wearing the full PPE. We were wearing without knowing, we're treating, and what's the chances that a burn patient will have a, a, a coronavirus, COVID-19? So I always uh, uh, take this precaution. I was wearing uh, uh, full thing. And unfortunately, the patient died within an hour. I feel very sorry in these cases. They are really a high mortality and very hopeless cases. So I finish by that my lecture. I have the MCQs. After the MCQs, we can take the questions if you have any question. So uh, are we going to start with the MCQ? Um, the first MCQ is uh, which of the following is not a criteria to transfer a burn patient to a specialist burn center? 25% total body service area deep partial thickness burn, high voltage electrical burn, 15% superficial partial thickness burn in a three years old, 20% total body and full thickness burn to the whole of one hand. So you can answer the first question, which one is not a criteria to shift to a burn center? So, the answers. Excellent. Uh, what, how much? Uh, no, no. 20%, yes. Yes, superficial burn, yes. So most of the answer had the correct answer. All the others you need to shift. Superficial burn, you don't calculate. You never calculate superficial burn in your percentage. So, next question. MCQ number two, with regards to burn excision, fascial excision provide excellent, excellent cosmosis. Fascial excision leads to significant blood loss. Late excision after antimicrobial dressing uh, for weeks leads to better outcome. Tangential excision provides excellent cosmosis, none of the above. Which one is the correct answer? It's very simple, huh? So, tangential, excellent. Most of the people, 50% answered correctly. 
So it's very ugly, <laughs> cosmetically unappealing, uh, uh, cosmetically unappealing to do the facial excision. So it's not excellent cosmosis. And then more bleeding is with tangential. So the answer is correct, is the better cosmotic uh, appearance with tangential. The third question, systemic effect of a major burn include increased venous return, increased, increasing cardiac preload, decreased systemic vascular resistance, increased pulmonary vascular resistance, hyperproteinemia. So one of them is correct. All the all the others is wrong. Okay. Mm, okay. So the correct answer is increased pulmonary vascular resistance. 31% answered correctly. That is mixed with the decreased systemic vascular resistance. Question number four. All of the following is useful in obtaining diagnosis of inhalation injury except chest X-ray, xenon-133 scan, bronchoscopy, and physical signs. Which one is not helpful or not useful to diagnose inhalation injury. It's an easy question. I expect 100% correct answer. So let's see the answers. Okay, more than 50% answered correctly. It's chest X-ray, it's useless. It's not gonna tell you it's inhalation injury or no, especially early. So the last question, when considering burn reconstruction of the head and neck, where the eye, nose, mouth, and ears, and skull are significantly involved, which one is more, is, would be the usual order for priority for reconstruction? You start with which one first? Ears, uh, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skull, or nose, eyes, mouth, skull, ears, or mouth, eyes, nose, ears, skull, Eyes, scalp, mouth, ear, nose, or eyes, mouth, scalp, nose, ear. Now, actually, you need to know the first two. Who is more important from the first two? Then you will know the correct answer. Because we mentioned priority for which organ and which other organ or other area. Answer, excellent. <laughs> 40% got it right and the remaining mix. We said I is number one. Then mouth. So you have three answers with eye, only one answer with mouth. So eyes and mouth. Uh, answer is number E, the last one. Well, these are the questions, and I'm open for any question if you want anything. Thank you, Dr. Monira, for the wonderful presentation. I have told you, know, I told them that Dr. Monira is famous for her crazy presentation. You cannot fall asleep during her presentations. <laughs> I hope so. so. Uh, there is two questions in the Q and answer panel. If you would like to answer them, Dr. Munira, one of them is a nice question by Dr. Al Anud Al Suleimani. Yes. Can you I see the question? Wallah, there are too many. <laughs> in in the Q and answer panel, not in the chat area. 
Not in the chat area? Okay. In the Q and answers. Okay, thank you. Uh, what do you decide? Use back dressing after applying the gout. Yes, we do. Uh, when we use it, I usually like to use it all the time. If the machine is available, it's the best to use the back. Why? First, it's not only stabilize your, your graft. Uh, it will take any uh, secretions available out from your wound. And then the back itself uh, causes increased blood flow to your bed. So it gives you better engraftment and better imbibation and graft survival. So if it was in my hand, I use the back for all my grafts. But uh, we need, if it's available, use it. However, if it's on the limb, it doesn't uh, prevent using a splint. If it's over a joint, you put it and you put this, this splint. Riham uh, Nasrallah, thank you. Uh, role of PRP rich second degree. I don't have a personal experience in using the PRP. However, um, there is support uh, using uh, PRP and plasma and dealing with the uh, later on the scars, the quality of the scars. But the burn itself, no. I use fat, yes, uh, fat cells. Adipose derived stem cells, but I'd never use PRP. But the reports, it can help. Uh, Nabil, can you use morphine in cases of what? Morphine, pitidine, I mean the painkiller, we can use. Yes, we can use. If the patient is in severe pain, we can use. Why is the construction of scalp is more important than the nose? Uh, you mean in the question and the and the order? Because if you have uh, uh, the nose, you can leave it. We have cases of nose uh, because you can breathe from your mouth. You have the other nozzle scalp. If you have exposed bone and there is no hair with exposed bone, you cannot put any graft. So you need to reconstruct the scalp. Uh, preferentially is, is is more than the nose, but the eyes is number one and the mouth is number two. So he can eat and the eyes to prevent the sclera damage and the drying. Uh, how to treat margarine ulcer? Usually margarine ulcer is, uh, the treating is by wide local excision with a safety margin. If it did not metastasize, only superficial. But unfortunately, if it by CT proves it's penetrating deep to the muscles and the bone, you have to do amputation of that limb. When I can use silver dressing? You can use silver dressing. It's an antimicrobial dressing. If you have it available, you can use it. But you have to make in your mind, not in the first five days, in the first five days, you can use silver alginate. Yes, it absorbs the fluid. But uh, later on, uh, you can use it for, for all the time. For silver, is antimicrobial. But it's an expensive version. If you have it, use it. There is the role of fresh rose in all albumin. As we said, we don't like to use it, especially in the first 24 hours. Sometimes we're obliged to use it in a severe burn, more than 60%. You cannot give high amount of volume. You'll be overloaded. You cannot give two liters per hour. So you can use yes after 24 hours. Uh, okay, Mexican, I cannot read Mexican. Using stem cell therapy for second and third degree burn wounds. Uh, yes, it's, uh, we use a stem not for the uh, uh, active wounds. Now we're using them, the adipose derived stem cells for the scars. Yes, we use it for the scars after the healing but we didn't use it for the active uh, second or third degree. Second degree burns, usually you have other means of treating it. But third degree burns, you have to debride and cover. If you want to do these things, you can do it later on for the scar. 
it's, it's the first priority is to cover the raw area to prevent from infection and fluid loss, and then you can do it later on. MashaAllah, too many questions. <laughs> In case of second-degree burn, will immunization be necessary? Yes, uh, second-degree burn, superficial? Uh, no, it's usually the deeper if you have a wound. Yes. Second-degree deep, yes. So. Okay, yeah, true. This is the biggest number of questions we have received since we started our <laughs> surgical review course. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Munira, you managed to answer all of them. Thank you very much. I'm sure that this lecture will be very useful to all the attendees before attending their exams. And as I always remind you, these lectures are recorded. It will be available in our page soon. We are working on it, so it should be available soon, inshallah. Thank you very much. And please join us in our second uh, next session. Sorry, it will be about gastric disease and duodenal diseases by Dr. Muhammad Jamal. And Dr. Muhammad Jamal also is famous for his uh, wonderful lectures as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Munira. Thank you for your time and effort. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.